Welcome to Podiatry Today Podcasts, where we bring you the latest information and opinions in foot and ankle medicine and surgery from leaders in the field. Today, we are happy to welcome back Robert Smith, DPM. Dr. Smith is both a podiatrist and a pharmacist and is currently in private practice in Ormond Beach, Florida. He is a prolific author and speaker on multiple topics within the podiatric field, especially those related to pharmacology. From 2013 to 2016, he was deployed to Iraq as a member of a medical team to create, establish, and operate an inpatient and outpatient pharmacy for military and civilians, and he continues to consult for multiple government agencies. Last time Dr. Smith joined us, he shared strong recommendations from the 2020 American College of Rheumatology consensus document on the treatment of gout. Today, he will present more details about these recommendations, specifically those centered on therapeutics. Welcome, Dr. Smith, and thank you for coming back to share more details on this topic. To start, what can you tell us about allopurinol, specifically about any cautions associated with this medication? Allopurinol is commonly prescribed to lower uric acid levels and is believed to be one of the leading causes of drug-related severe cutaneous adverse reactions, abbreviated as SCARs, which include risk of both toxic epidermal necrolysis and Steven Johnson syndrome risk. SCARs have been associated with certain variants of the HLA-B gene from the MH clonus. Patients who carry at least one HLA-B5801 allele are placed at a higher risk for scars from allopurinol. This allele was first discovered in East Asian populations and has since been associated with scars from allopurinol in European populations. The Clinical Pharmacogenetics Implementation Consortium, the CPIC, guidelines recommend against allopurinol use in patients who carry at least one HLA-B5801 allele. So, for clinicians who do choose to prescribe allopurinol, what does the American College of Rheumatology say about its use? Let me review the strong recommendation. Treatment with allopurinol as the preferred first-line agent over all urate-lowering therapies for all patients, including those with moderate to severe chronic kidney disease defined as stage 3 or greater, or the choice of either allopurinol or faboxostat over probenicid for patients with moderate to severe chronic kidney disease, stage 3 or greater, and finally, starting treatment with low-dose allopurinol equal to or less than 100 mg per day and lower in chronic kidney disease patients, as well as the starting dose for faboxostat being equal to or less than 40 mg a day with subsequent dose titration over starting at a higher dose Dr. Smith, is there any guidance as far as testing for the allele associated with scars? Now, going back to pharmacogenomics, 
allopurinol testing for the HLA-B5801 allele prior to starting allopurinol is conditionally recommended for patients of Southeast Asian descent. For example, those individuals that identify themselves as Han Chinese, Korean, or Thai, as well as for African-American patients, Universal testing prior to starting allopurinol is conditionally recommended against in patients of other ethnic or racial background. Independent of that allele, what should clinicians do if a patient is indeed allergic to allopurinol? Allopurinol desensitization is conditionally recommended for patients with prior allergic response to allopurinol who cannot be treated with any other oral urate-lowering therapeutic agent. The level of evidence supporting this recommendation is very low. So therefore, the voting panel recognized that desensitization protocols are not commonly used with the majority of currently practicing rheumatologists. What can you tell us about Febuxostat or Euloric? As we turn our attention to Febuxostat, there are some particular cautions that providers should be aware of. Switching to an alternative oral urate-lowering therapy agent, if available and consistent with other recommendations in this guideline, is conditionally recommended for patients taking Febuxostat with a history of cardiovascular disease or a new cardiovascular disease-related event. Can you go into more detail about these cardiovascular risks? The FDA mandated in the CARES trial that Febuxostat versus allopurinol, that there was no difference between the two arms in the primary composite of cardiovascular disease endpoint. Febuxostat, however, was associated with a higher risk of cardiovascular disease-related death and all-cause mortality driven by cardiovascular disease deaths compared with allopurinol. But there was no association with other three secondary cardiovascular outcomes. The first, non-fatal myocardial infarction. The second, non-fatal stroke, and the third, the urgent revascularization for unstable angina. The interpretation of these results is complicated by a high dropout rate with the majority of deaths occurring after urate-lowering therapy was discontinued. I must caution, though, that February 21, 2019, the FDA did offer a warning centered around the brand name Euloric, that the Food and Drug Administration had concluded there is an increased risk of death with the use of Euloric compared to the gold standard as defined as allopurinol. This conclusion was based on an in-depth review of results from a safety clinical trial that found an increased risk of heart-related death as well as all other deaths from all causes with the use of the brand name Euloric. 
healthcare professionals should reserve Euloric for the use only in patients who have failed or do not tolerate allopurinol. Patients should be counseled about the cardiovascular risk with Euloric and advise them to seek medical attention immediately if they experience any cardiovascular symptoms. Moving on to the uricosuric agents, are there any particular features or pearls you can share with the audience about this group of medications? Checking urinary uric acid is conditionally recommended against for patients considered for or receiving uricosuric treatments. Alkalinizing the urine is conditionally recommended against for patients receiving uricosuric treatments. A single observational study demonstrated that higher levels of 24-hour uric acid and higher levels of undissociated uric acid were associated with urolithiasis. However, the voting panel indicated that the challenges with 24-hour urine collection or the use of a nomogram-based testing, which can both be affected by diet, negate the utility of such testing in light of a very low level of evidence. They found no evidence to support a recommendation of checking urine uric acid levels for patients receiving uricosuric treatment or for alkalinizing the urine. What did the American College of Rheumatology recommendations have to say about piglotocase? Piglotocase is relatively a new agent to treat gout. One point is switching to piglotocase over Continuing current urate-lowering therapy is strongly recommended for patients with gout for whom xanthine oxidase inhibitor treatment, urocosurics, and other interventions have failed to achieve the serum uric acid target and who continue to have frequent gout flares as defined as equal to or greater than two flares per year or who have non-resolving subcutaneous tophi. On the other hand, switching to peglodicase over continuing current uric-lowering therapy is strongly recommended against for patients with gout for whom xanthine oxidase inhibitor treatment, urocosurics, and other interventions have failed to achieve the serum uric acid target less than two flares per year, and demonstrate no TOFI. We've covered a lot of information so far, Dr. Smith. Can you share a take-home message regarding urate-lowering therapy overall? Initiating urate-lowering therapy is strongly recommended for gout patients with any of the following, one or greater subcutaneous TOFI. The second, evidence of radiographic damage of any modality, attributed to gout, or frequent gout flares with frequency being defined as greater than or equal to two annually. So how can providers use a treat-to-target management strategy to lower urate? This includes urate-lowering therapy dose titration and subsequent dosing guided by serial serum uric acid measurements to achieve a target serum uric acid is strongly recommended by the ACR 
over a fixed-dose urate-lowering therapy strategy. Achieving and maintaining a serum uric acid target of less than 6 milligrams per deciliter is the optimum goal. What can you tell us about specifically managing gout flares? I do agree providers want to provide short-term flare relief in gouty arthritis. The ACR recommendations for treating acute flares include the following. Using colchicine or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents or glucocorticoids administered either orally, interarticularly, or intramuscularly as appropriate first-line therapies for gout flares. And this is over the use of interleukin-1 inhibitors or adrenocorticotropin hormone, abbreviated ACTH, is strongly recommended for patients experiencing a gout flare. Given that similar efficacy and a lower risk of adverse effects have been shown in clinical-based evidence with low-dose colchicine over high-dose colchicine, it is recommended by the ACR that a low-dose colchicine be used when colchicine is the chosen agent to manage the gout flare. Also, the use of topical ice as an adjunctive treatment over no adjunctive treatment is conditionally recommended for patients experiencing a gout flare. Using an interleukin-1 inhibitor over no therapy beyond supportive or analgesic treatment is conditionally recommended for patients experiencing a gout flare for whom the above anti-inflammatory therapies are either ineffective, poorly tolerated, or counterindicated. Treatment with glucocorticoids either given intramuscularly, intravenously, or interarticularly, are recommended over interleukin-1 inhibitors, or ACTH, as a strong recommendation for patients who are unable to take oral medications. Is there any consensus on lifestyle factors or prevention of gout before it occurs? I do agree that prevention is paramount in the treatment of gout therapy. Limiting alcohol intake is conditionally recommended by the ACR for patients with gout, regardless of disease activity. Further, limiting purine intake is also conditionally recommended for patients with gout, regardless of disease activity. As well as limiting high fructose corn syrup intake is conditionally recommended by the ACR for patients with gout, regardless of disease activity. Using a weight loss program where the ACR did not specifically endorse any specific program is conditionally recommended for those patients with gout who are defined as overweight or obese regardless of their disease activity. Many patients with gout could be on multiple other medications. What can you tell us about the interplay of this with the condition and its treatment? As podiatric physicians, we are taught that other medications a patient ingests can affect their risk for gout. As a personal point, I recommend to the pharmacy students and podiatric physicians that I mentor that they coordinate any gout management of other medications with the patient's primary care physician. 
When we look at management of concurrent medications, switching hydrochlorothiazide to an alternative antihypertensive when feasible is conditionally recommended for patients with gout regardless of disease activity. Further, choosing losartan, preferably as the antihypertensive agent when feasible is conditionally recommended for patients with gout regardless of the disease activity. As we examine using low-dose aspirin, stopping low-dose aspirin for patients taking this medication for appropriate indication is conditionally recommended against for patients with gout regardless of their disease activity. Adding or switching cholesterol-lowering agents to phenylfibrate is conditionally recommended against for patients with gout, regardless of disease activity. Thank you so much, Dr. Smith, for sharing this comprehensive review of the American College of Rheumatology's guidelines on the treatment of gout. And thank you to the listeners for joining us today. I'm Dr. Jennifer Spector, Senior Editor at Podiatry Today, and we look forward to bringing you even more interesting discussions with thought leaders in the field in future podcasts. 